Welcome to our second segment of this afternoon's program. It's Sunday, the 10th of October, 2021. It's now 1.42 in the studio. I'm your host, Kieran Murdoch. Uh, the aim of our second s- discussion this afternoon is to explore the utility, the ethics, and the effectiveness of special economic zones in Antique and Barbuda uh, in reaction to the approval of a new special economic zone to be known as the Western Imperial Special Economic Zone. Uh, speaking on the sidelines of a ribbon-cutting ceremony last week, the Prime Minister Gaston Brown promised that the new Western Imperial Special Economic Zone would bring necessary investment to Antigua and Barbuda. Uh, according to Observer, the new zone was to be facilitated by Vijender Singh, the CEO of the company called Western Imperial Capital Limited. Uh, the operation would be managed by Charit Mathur, uh, director of that same company, Western Imperial Capital Limited. Uh, Both men were mentioned in a late March press release, uh, much earlier this year, uh, that noted the signing of a memorandum of understanding between Western Imperial Capital Limited and Yida International Investment Limited uh, for the establishment of an offshore medical university, a hotel, and a financial center on 100 acres of land within Yida's special economic zone at Crabs. The ceremony last week at which Brown spoke was actually a ribbon-cutting for the Western Imperial Medical University uh, within Yida's Special Economic Zone. Uh, now, as it relates to the new Western Imperial Special Economic Zone, uh, and of course, uh, we generally shorten Special Economic Zone to SEZ or SES. Uh, so if you hear that term as we go forward, that's what we're referring to. Uh, but a- as it relates to the new Special Economic Zone, the zone license itself was granted to a company called Millennia Mountain Development Antigua Limited. Uh, In a license order gazetted on the 23rd of September, uh, the developers are granted zone status over more than 500 collective acres of land in the area of Jennings and Five Islands. Uh, The Prime Minister yesterday stated while speaking on his radio station, Point FM, that uh, land is, or the land in question is not owned by the government. Um, As is the case with special economic zones, uh, there are significant tax waivers granted The language of the zone order suggests that there will be a fast-track process for construction and environmental uh, regulatory procedures and approvals. It gives significant autonomy to the developers in the zone, and it also designates the developers being approved to market Antiguan Barbuda's citizenship by investment program, among many other things. Um, The order began circulation, that's the license order, uh, began circulation publicly this week and seems to have sparked much debate about how we as a country approach development. Um, it is called back to memory for many, the hurdles and controversies surrounding Yida's special economic zone. Uh, millions, of course, have been invested in that special economic zone since 2015, uh, but it was not up to the promised level of investment, and there were several major controversies over environmental impacts and construction in the zone, including some damning reports back in 2017. Um, many also took issue with the fact that so much land, this is in the case of Yida, uh, had been acquired by Yida for the zone, uh, some parts of that being in an environmentally protected area. Uh, the land that Yida acquired was, of course, from the Stanford liquidators. Uh, many are wary of the new zone uh, and the general idea of giving a high level of autonomy to a developer over a large swath of land in a small developing island and promising to waive taxation, approve a lots of concessions, fast-track approvals, and so on and so forth. So on this segment, we'll be asking what should a country have to sacrifice in order to attract foreign investment, and in this case, have we given away too much? Uh, Joining our panel for this discussion, we're happy to have with us Dr. George Brathwaite. Uh, He is a lecturer in the Department of Government, Sociology, Social Work, and Psychology at the University of the West Indies, Cayville. He, of course, is a former consultant editor at the Caribbean Times newspaper, which was based in Antigua and Barbuda. Good afternoon to you, Dr. George Brathwaite. How are you doing? 
Uh, good afternoon, Miss uh, Kieran. How are you doing? I'm well, and good afternoon, all Antigua and Barbuda, and good afternoon to my fellow panelists. Looking forward to this discussion. Uh, we have with us Dr. Thompson Fontaine. He is an economist. Uh, he's a Dominican national. He's currently working in South Sudan. Uh, he has worked uh, for the International Monetary Fund. He did so for 13 years. Uh, his writing in economics have focused on growth, currency crises, development, fiscal management, and debt. And he is also lectured in his field at the University of uh, Maryland University College. Uh, good afternoon to you, Dr. Thompson Fontaine. He too joins us on Zoom. Very good afternoon to you, Kiran, and to my fellow panelists. Um, it's great to be here and to many listeners as well. And we are joined uh, finally by Mr. Anderson Carty. He is a, a management consultant specializing in business management, industrial relations, and human resource management. He has almost 30 years of experience, and he hails from the Grace Farm community. I know that he intends to uh, uh, run as a candidate there in the next elections. Uh, good afternoon to you, uh, Mr. Anderson Carty. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Mr. Murdoch, and greetings to your worldwide listenership across the globe. Let me say a blessed Sunday afternoon to everyone here at home, including my community family, my professional associates and personal friends. I do trust that everyone is being safe, and most importantly, that individuals have taken that extraordinary step to be vaccinated in the best interest of protecting their health and that of their families and friends. I say good afternoon to my fellow panelists. Um, I wonder if I could begin with you, Mr. Carty, just to ask you your first impressions of the license order. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about it since the document has been uh, shared and circulated this week. Uh, of course, it was gazetted back in September. Um, but having a look at it, just going through it and seeing the level of concessions and um, the intentions or the promises uh, or potential development um, that this developer uh, intends or hopes to bring, um, what, are your, what are your first impressions of the new zone? Well, Karan, let me just thank you for the invitation to contribute to this national discourse. And just to begin by prefacing my general comments on this program today by just laying out uh, a foundation here. And I'd say that I'm in full support of any initiative that is geared towards the socio-economic development of Antigua and Barbuda. However, any such development must be people-centered, meaning that the development of our human resource must remain a key element. Further, any physical development must take into consideration the potential impact on the environment. And so there's always a need to respect our environmental laws and the principles in order to achieve a fair balance and outcome. Of additional import is that the government must carry out broad-based consultation and uh, in this case, it is clear that that did not happen. And this should be done with the citizenry in order to ensure that there is a key buy-in, uh, bearing in mind that our government holds and manages in trust the collective assets of this nation. It is also critical to ensure transparency and accountability and that there is a proper mechanism in place to report to the people. Now, we're operating in today's economic reality where the traditional revenue sources, um, foreign direct investment to tourism, uh, has its limitation, including the fact that other areas of the world have become more competitive in terms of the services offered and affordable prices. Small island states must therefore continue to explore innovative ways to spur economic growth and development. But many of the larger nations are also putting in place stringent measures seeking to protect their own financial economic interests. 
which most often results in sanctions for small nations by our, of ours. Now, we know we're in a time where there are many fly-by-night investors and speculators uh, that have been the greatest challenge for small states as ours. And many have had their sights on Antigua and Barbuda as a destination. Now, for me, the focus uh, should be, uh, in, in relation to the common issue at hand, is the government's decision to grant this license for the establishment of the Western Imperial Special Economic Zone, where 549 acres of land has been designated for the purpose of so-called industrial development. I think, though, uh, Kiran, we must focus on the act that gives the Minister of Finance and Corporate Government governance, the powers, sweeping and unfettered powers to engage in negotiations and decision-making on behalf of Antigua and Barbuda. And it is a sole decision of the minister to uh, determine that this area be so designated. And it would appear to me that we have not gotten value for, for dollar and the potential uh, uh, benefits to the state um, see minuscule uh, compared to what the investors um, will be reaping as a result of this one-sided agreement. Let me bring in Dr. George Brathwaite. Dr. George Brathwaite, um, I want to get your take on the issue, uh, your first impressions of this zone. And I, and I, I, I specifically um, noted to our listeners that uh, you were the consultant editor in the Caribbean Times, uh, just so that they could be aware that you would have been in Antigua um, throughout uh, some years of the, the, the process with EDA and, and, and reporting on many of the hurdles and the controversies that EDA had experienced in the life of its economic zone up to this point. Uh, but your first impressions of this new zone? Okay. Uh, yes, thanks for alerting the public to that. Um, nonetheless, I, I hope that I will not give a jaundiced perspective I uh, I share much of what Mr. Carty uh, indicated, particularly in terms of development and the limited development options that our Caribbean small states have. So I've, I'm fully supportive of the whole notion of setting up um, zones. Uh, there are advantages and there are disadvantages. Uh, going through the documents, I I am somewhat taken back when extraordinary power is granted in one minister, whether it be the Minister of Finance or the Prime Minister. I I, I just think that... Uh, Dr. Rathaway, oh, there, oh, there does appear to be huh? some um, music in your background. Uh, I'm sure if it's a phone Sorry, or... that was a message coming through on my phone. I should have had it on no silent. Problem, no Sorry problem, that's fine, that's fine. Go ahead. I'll put it on silent as soon as I am. But the, 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 the key thing here is that, one, um, these, these special economic zones, what they demand, and that is to ensure that the country does not suffer reputational damage. It calls for a lot of integrity. It calls for real strong management. It calls for a lot of accountability and transparency notwithstanding that the state is willing to go bend over backwards so to speak to extend uh so many concessions so in a in a general in a, in a general framework yes i'm very supportive of such a development it has been expressed um 
vision of the prime minister, even in his 2014 uh, manifesto, in the, that party's manifesto, he worked, and as you said, he had either. But if I recall, a lot of the challenges that came in terms of either had about the very bypassing or attempts to bypass environmental um, impact studies, etc. That was one of the issues. And I think uh, it is the, in the management and it is having the discussions with your public. I remember uh, Sir Arthur Lewis once wrote, bold policies cannot be adopted unless they're widely discussed in, pub in public. And it is important that when you're going to make see changes in terms of your development strategy, that what you need coming alongside with you are the people. People because this is a form of, there are perceptions that it can discriminate against local investors and your local clientele. Huh? So while there are advantages, we have to be absolutely careful in terms of the downside. And the downside comes in too much ministerial power uh, and, and, and the fact that there are not enough discussions and the extent to which the concessions appear fair. Because th this seems to be a clean sweep in terms of all taxes, waiver of all taxes, all duties, uh, and indefinitely. So I think we have to balance those things against what are the realities in terms of revenues to the government and people of Antigua and Barbuda. Mm. I uh, would stop here for now. And Dr. Thompson Fontaine, let me bring you in to ask for your first impressions um, and just some sense of what uh, balance there needs to be struck between a foreign capital that wants to develop uh, areas or zones in the country and the the framework, the laws, the concessions and regulations that governments are willing to apply uh, to that foreign capital and how it operates. Thanks, Kieran. I want to begin my brief comments by kind of pulling back a little bit and looking at economic zones uh, generally. These are not new concepts. These, are, these have been tried across the globe. For example, uh, China is probably the best example of this. A lot of the economic growth that we saw in China was on account of those economic zones that they, they, they developed in more than seven areas of the country. But having said that, though, uh, in this particular case of what is going on in Antigua, the point was very well made by both of the prior panelists that you must look at the cost and the benefits. Uh, in terms of the benefits, people tend to look at the contribution to the gross domestic product, the contribution to employment, uh, the contribution that, that you will have in terms of being able to attract foreign direct investments. There are some of the direct benefits of, a, of the zone. But you have to put those benefits against the cost that the country has to undertake to get those benefits. And from looking at the license that I, I have seen, it would appear that the most direct um, benefit for the country is from employment. And even that is not necessarily a given because the same license allows for the, basically the importation of workers because it's clear that um, there, there are benefits that goes to workers who are employed within the zone, not having to pay income taxes and so on. The companies themselves don't have to pay any kind of cooperation taxes. 
Now, that raises a very important um, issue, which was cited by Dr. Braffitt, and that is the issue of if you're going to have a company um, engage in the types of businesses that I have seen, for example, the, the, um, the developer indicating, he talked about the issue of hotels. If you're going to have a hotel in an exclusive economic zone, does it then give this hotel an unfair advantage over the other hotels that are already established, hotels that have to pay taxes, that do not get those um, duty-free concessions and so on. So these are the kinds of issues that, that needs to be looked at. You must weigh very, very carefully the benefits and the costs. And the other thing I would like to add before I end is the fact that it does appear that where those zones exist, it is, there is a lot of control by the government. It is, it is a government um, feature that, that exercises con control over that particular area. But in this case, it does appear as if the whole area is given over to an individual, and this individual in turn will then go and seek the investors to bring in. And that, to me, is a bit worrisome. Well, let me let me ask Mr. Anderson Carty about that in terms of how we approach the idea of special economic zones, because uh, there there are some persons who um, would want to see the government, on behalf of the, the, the citizenry of Antigua and Barbuda, having a more controlling hand in uh, wh which investors are invited, how they come, uh, uh, you know, the diligence done on them, um, and of course the regulations uh, and approvals that they must face uh, going into the zone, uh, as opposed to the regime that we sort of see laid out in in this license, and and, and also sort of replicated uh, from the Yida license, where a lot of autonomy is given to uh, uh, the the developer zone management to. Uh, sort of create uh, parallel controls and, and work with the government, yes, but establish their own controls to sort of uh, uh, facilitate uh, investment in persons in the zone. And and the promise, uh, according to the language of the license, the promise by the government to fast track, to, to speed up, to cut through red tape, um, giving a sort of sense that, you know, the regulations as relates to environment, construction and other things um, will be bulldozed if necessary. Mr. Gotti? Yes. Um, thank you for that. Now, here's the challenge for me, is that the, there are political considerations that arises every time we have a discussion on these kinds of agreements. Now, this is exactly what happens when Antigua and Barbuda approaches the date at which an election is constitutionally due, that our governments, our leaders, find themselves in a position where they sit at the bargaining table and appear not to bargain uh, properly on behalf of the citizenry. And we end up with this one-sided agreement. So we are uh, looking at an election in a year, year and a half or thereabout. And similar to the data tan agreement, the Yida agreement, we now have a third agreement and they are very similar in terms of their contents. And uh, that is why I keep going back to the fact that the act uh, created by parliament, the Special Economic Zone Act of 2015, which gives unto the Minister of Finance and Corporate Government sweeping and unfettered powers. Uh, this is where the concern arises because the government is only thinking politically and not necessarily in the interest of the wider whole. Um, they want to preserve themselves in office, from my view, and so, uh, especially in these very difficult times where there is the COVID challenge existing within our communities, uh, government are bankrupt of ideas. And certainly, it seemed to me that they want to force these kinds of agreement on the people 
uh, a sort of pie in the sky uh, um, promise that would see them reelected to office. In my view, the devil is in the details of that act. And so it is that we have sat by and we have allowed for this act to be passed and uh, uh, nobody has uh, uh, signaled any opposition to this, these powers that are vested in the prime minister. You know, in many instances, we've heard of the absence of proper due diligence. Many convicts uh, come to our shore and they've reaped significant financial benefit on the backs of our people. You know, there are examples uh, that we have to look at. And I named the three uh, early, the two early agreements, the Data Tan Agreement and now the Yeda Agreement. And so it gives us no cause for comfort that the government we elect have been acting uh, in the best uh, interest of the people. And there is also the stronger suggestion that the cabinet uh, ministers may instead have been the beneficiaries of these failed projects uh, that these speculators come to ashore and they handed the people's patrimony, our lands, and whether they are owned privately or publicly, I'm not sure that it makes much of a difference because the sweeping concession that is afforded to them, that is not normally uh, given to our locals. And we see at the end of the day, these arrangements fail. And what ends up happening is that they cut these lands up and they parcel them out and they sell them and they rake in very huge profits. Of course, I agree with my fellow panelists that the concept of such an act, special economic zone, is a good one. And so was Karl Barks' utopia, uh, where he laid out <laughs> the concept of socialism. Except to say that I think our law is fundamentally flaw flawed in having legislated such unrestricted powers onto a single person, being the Minister of Finance and Corporate Governance. And I also agree that if one is to look at the, the establishment of a special ex economic zone, then it has to be uh, uh, fundamental that the government is involved in such a way that it allows for joint management and control. And in a lot of cases, we uh, uh, give to these investors the right to control port of entries, customs and immigration. And we know that this can bring with it the importation of drugs and other contramands and money laundering has become the biggest concern around the world. And so uh, these sweeping concessions and this uh, uh, full control that is given to the investor or the licensee under this act um, certainly has to be of concern to all of us Let me, um... that uh, we could end up in a situation where mm -hmm. our country continues uh, to be uh, put on the map for acts of corruption. Mm -hmm. Let me ask uh, Dr. George Brathwaite. Dr. George Brathwaite, I want to get your take on something. Um, there are, uh, I, I looked at some of the Facebook commentary uh, on this issue, uh, and one of the things I noted was that persons felt that something very significant had happened in terms of public policy without them knowing about it beforehand. And there was a lot of uh, sort of bewilderment, shock that they, they saw a document uh, and the, the, the grants 
and the substance of the document seemed so significant and substantial, but it was gazetted back in September, uh, and it's just now that it's, it's really being passed over the eyes of the public. Um, and we have spoken earlier about consultation and to what extent um, you know, the government needs to be consulting interest groups, persons, um, when significant policy actions are going to be taken. And uh, Mr. Carty has spoken at length about the significance of the 2015 Special Economic Zones Act. Um, so my, my question to you really and truly is whether or not uh, you think that something this significant, if you think it's significant enough that it ought to have been uh, in some manner, shape, or form, a public debate featured in Parliament uh, and not just uh, something approved under the hand of the minister, gazetted, and then people read about it later. I, I, I definitely concur with, with, with your sentiments and the sentiments uh, in from Mr. Cardi in that relation. Uh, indeed, that is why I went to uh, Sir Arthur Lewis in terms of development policy and development strategy and the fact that with these major what i call a sea change in terms of your development planning that not just have implications for antigua and barbuda but has implications for other countries in the region particularly we see uh, persons obtaining citizenship antiguan citizenship it has implications in terms of what they can and cannot do across caricom so when you start putting these things and you have not had that public debate for instance um, we, we understand how migration works and the issues that have come with the movement of people. As rightly said, you're given uh, open arms to foreign workers to come and work in that zone. But at the same point in time, what damage or what other implications can arise for, 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 um, in terms of the labor market, in terms of your national labor market and the regional labor market? To what extent then is there uh, that, that sense of fairness and justice? Huh? I mean, they said there, there, there's no way of policing that if you've given over all autonomy uh, to, 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 to the group. So these are things that, yes, if they are representatives in parliament, they need to be talking. They need to be talking and, and they're various interest groups. They're the business entities and their representatives certainly as i said uh labor unions because uh you, we we know the things that go on and we know particularly when we've had foreign workers coming in uh, and foreign managers particularly that they've tended to overplay their hand when it comes to domestic workers and the hiring of domestic workers and uh, being able to walk a straight line in terms of protocols and rules and regulations. So I think there has to be a lot more discourse. Uh, and Dr. Thompson Fontaine. And it should have happened months ago. Uh, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, I'd ask you if you would agree with that. I mean, and I would also say that uh, we, we're discussing this at a point where not a great deal about it uh, is known. Uh, I don't know if the, the for instance, the trade off uh, or, or what benefit. Uh, there is going to be is solely seen in the potential for future investment or whether or not it included I don't know if there were any license fees that uh, you know the central government benefited from in terms of uh, approving the zone license I don't know if um, uh, the land acquired for the zone uh, maybe it was recently bought by the developer and so you know a significant injection of money I, I, I don't know uh, but Dr. Thompson Fontaine uh, would you agree with what's been said would you, would you disagree at all um, and, and what do you think about the issue of uh, as Dr. As Dr. George Brathwaite was speaking, um, 
the issue of how we consult and how these issues are publicly debated if they are issues of significance? All right, what, what I could say to this is that I'm trying not to go into the, into the politics of the whole thing, given that I'm not an Antiguan and I don't want to seem to be, to be interfering. What, what I can do though is examining, looking at the, at the license and what is contained within the license, I can make some comments on it. One of the things that, that, that struck me in terms of what is what is being given up is the use of the land. It looks like the, the land is being transferred over completely over to this particular developer. Well, I will what I will I will jump in, in to say countries. I will jump in to say. Well, I will jump in to say, not that you've suggested otherwise, but I will jump in to say, just for the sake of clarity, um, I did hear the, the Prime Minister on radio yesterday indicating that uh, it's the developer's land. Uh, so just in case there was the question of whether or not it's, it's government land being leased, uh, to my understanding from what he said, that wasn't the case. It's the developer's land and he's been granted the status of the zone over that area of land. Okay, so it could be that he purchased the land or it could have been given to him or something, quite possibly. Okay, that's that's certainly clear. What I was about to say though is that in most of these situations, what you have is is that um, developers are given what is referred to as a land use certificate, where they are allowed to use the land for a certain a specified period of time. It does not belong to them. That's one of the safeguards that the country can put in place. Because I I heard Mr. Kati indicate that the history, or at least part of the history of Antigua, has been where developers end up basically passing up the land and selling it off. Uh, and, and that is something you really want to avoid in these types of situations. So that discussion with the public, I think, is is, is very critical. Um, the benefits, obviously, um, can be huge. But again, it depends upon what you are going to do in those zones. If, as I said, if it is to compete with other locals in the hotel sector, for example, then you have to ask the question, why not open it up to all the hotels? Why, for example, would some hotels now have to be paying all these fees and all these, these taxes and, and all that, just because you're in a particular area within the country, you're not allowed to pay this. I would also add as well that we had a similar situation like this in Dominica in 1979, and that actually cost the government. Um, Patrick John at the time, our prime minister, um, got a lot of heated debate and, and the, a lot of opposition to it because it was a similar type of, of setup where the developer would have exclusive rights, exclusive control. And people were concerned about having, if you like, an island within an island or a state within a state. And the question becomes, if a developer is simply interested in helping your country, is simply interested in making money, why would he be concerned about immigration issues? Why would he be concerned about custom issues? I think what could happen is you could make it easier, for example, um, if you have a zone delineated, you could make it easier for the custom um, process. You could make it easier to do business so that the, the, the licensing procedure, all of that takes less time. But to give it up completely to a developer, I think is probably not the right way to go. Uh, and Mr. Anderson Carty, um, how would you uh, follow up that? There was a question on my mind and it totally slipped me, so I have to just ask you to continue the conversation while I try to remember what it was I was thinking. Yes. And just in, in noting something, um, um, Kiran, is that the Act speaks about the designated area of a special economic zone um, should be an approximate size of five square kilometers or 1,235 acres. I noticed that this uh, oh, they amended land that. They amended that, amounts actually. to... 
they amended it. There's several amendments to Are the they? act. They, I said they, they ah, amended so it. It has been amended. To 500, yeah. They amended it to a minimum yes, of 500. Okay. Thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. Um, right. So what we continue to see, um, Kiran, is the apparent inability of our leaders to sit at the table and negotiate a fair deal on behalf of the nation. And so the investors, the speculators, as I call them in many cases, get everything and there is no deliverables. The agreements uh, that we have seen, they do not contain any element of a performance clause. Oh, that uh, is the question. Sorry to jump in. That is the question I wanted to ask you. Usually when we see these uh, uh, developments, uh, if I go back to the EDA case as well, uh, it's, as you mentioned the, the, the word with the phrase performance clause, uh, there are so many uh, items listed as uh, potential on the, the list of developments. I mean, it really sounds absolutely fantastic. Medical universities, yes. casinos, golf courses. I mean, it sounds really wonderful. Uh, and then the reality often turns out to be a much slower pace of development, a much lower rate of investment. Um, and, uh, well, you mentioned the issue of performance clauses. Would you like to see a, a system where, uh, as the person demonstrates their capacity, um, uh, approvals follow in terms of concessions and so on and leniency and, and so on well absolutely and it has to do with the ability again of our leaders to sit at the table and negotiate a deal that is in the best interest of the country and uh, for me uh, what has been happening represents that uh they're not genuine agreements and i believe our governments know this as i said it's a sort of pie in the sky election is around the corner and i'm saying I have this investor who I've signed this agreement with who's promising everything, but we know in reality they have delivered little or nothing. So we're talking about performance clauses, and it would be normal to me and fundamental to have these performance clauses in these agreements if they are genuine agreements where uh, lands can be repatriated to the state if the investor does not meet the reasonable timelines for development of the area. So what we have is a lack of public confidence in the administration to ensure that the interests and the patrimony of this nation is protected for future generations. Uh, I believe the concept as laid out, it can work uh, only if we're able to negotiate a fair trade at the table and allow for the joint operation and management of the zone between government and investor. A private public partnership should drive any such arrangement for a special economic zone, without exception. So at no time, I think, that the investor should have the opportunity to manage and operate uh, such a zone within Antigua and Barbuda without the government directly being involved to ensure that there is performance. Uh, and Dr. George Brathwaite, uh, we are drawing to the uh, the end of this segment. I'm going to actually end it at uh, 2.20 or thereabouts, so we have significant time for the following segment. But um, would, you, would you add anything at this point, uh, particularly on the, uh, the issue of maybe what needs to happen now? Uh, there has been a, a, a great level of public uh, discussion. The opposition, I know the main opposition party, has voiced grave concerns with the nature of this uh, uh, license order. Uh, what would you say the government ought to do now, if anything at all? Uh, clearly, clearly, the, the the intent appears sound and remains part of a vision of the current government. It is clear. Yes, options are limited in terms of attracting um, finance, development, and investment, etc. However, I think that even at this twilight hour, I think it is important that there 
is a full declaration by the Prime Minister and the Minister of Finance, uh, and, and perhaps even invite the uh, investors to speak openly in some public forum in relation to all the all all the important items that that we would have just spoken about i, I know mr carty mentioned the, the the problem of or, or the perception that money laundering can and will increase it has been real when you even in looking in terms of china and india and other countries that have tried these economic zones it opens the door for that so what type of monitoring mechanisms because I know within the within the, um, the the document itself, the government has really given a free hand, even in terms of of, of the exchange or or, or the, the use of foreign capital, et cetera, et cetera. So, so the point is, how can you now come rather than try to defend your position? I think it is up to the government to come and inform the people. It would give the perception everything is above board and even though we got this um information late at least it is vital and valuable to us because now we understand where you want to take the country but do not try to carry along the country so far ahead that everybody's left behind because you open the door for speculation and for rumor mongering and for all the things that become anti-developmental uh, and uh, Dr. Thompson Fontaine, uh, one minute left in this segment. What would you leave us with as your final word? I heard the investor, actually, I, I read in one of his um, speeches that he was given, I think, at the opening of some thing in, in Antigua, where he indicated that he would go in search of other investors. And that to me is, is dangerous because it puts the, the whole success of this on. on an individual and whether or not he has the same energy and, and desire. What really should ideally should happen is that government should have some measure of control that should be somewhere within the government purview so that they're the ones that are energized, they're the ones that go after getting that kind of, of investment into the country. And also, I believe in a gradualist approach, which is what was spoken of initially by Mr. Carty, where you, you look at performance and you link the benefits to those performances. So as you as you accomplish certain benchmarks, you get additional benefits. The way I have read this license is that upfront, this person is given all of those benefits and it is still not clear the true benefit to the country because even where the country could most largely benefit, which is through employment, it is still not clear that they will have an advantage over this. For example, there is nothing that prevents, as I said at the start, that prevents the developer from bringing in cheaper Chinese labor or from other countries that would, that would compete against you know, the, the, the wages in Antigua. So, a lot has to be discussed, a lot needs to be discussed, and, and I agree with Dr. Brathwaite that it is very important to have that discussion with the Antiguan population. Okay. Uh, with that, we can end this segment here. I want to say thank you to all three of our guests this afternoon. We were joined by Mr. Anderson Carty. Uh, he is a management consultant. Uh, he specializes in industrial relations, uh, business management. Uh, I'm actually remembering the bio because I'm scrolling back to it right now. So uh, if you give me a moment, folks, I'll, I'll land on it. Yes, Mr. Anderson Carty, management consultant specializing in business management, industrial relations, and human resource management. He has almost 30 years of experience. And of course, he's from the Grace Farm community. Uh, we were joined as well by Dr. George Brathwaite. Uh, he, of course, is 
He's a lecturer in the Department of Government, Sociology, Social Work, and Psychology at the University of the West Indies, Cavill. Uh, and Dr. Thompson Fontaine joined us as well, Dominica National. He's an economist, and he's currently working in South Sudan. Uh, thanks to all three of you for joining us this afternoon.